uh, third and fourth chapter there really almost uh, expound further this the thinking that we're going to the truths that we're going to deal with here this morning in Colossians 2. We're only going to look at five verses in Colossians 2, whereas um, Pastor Michael read a number of different verses this morning. So it's good to have that uh, side-by-side perspective so you can kind of see what's taking place as the Apostle Paul writes these two letters. Before we get into the text, I do want to thank you for the prayers that you guys have had for me. I know the some of you weren't aware, but I've had some back issues the last a month and a half about, or maybe even two months, and, and they've become more and more unsettled. And so I know that several have been praying, and it's been helpful. I think I'm... I, I don't know what state I'm in right now. As long as I'm standing up, I'm really fine, and there's no pain at all. But when I try to sit down or lay down and stand back up again, it's, it's pretty excruciating and uh, very difficult to do. And it takes me about five to ten minutes to, get, to be able to move, basically. I feel, I feel like I've aged about 40 years in the last two months. And uh, I know that I have a pinched sciatic nerve, and so that's what's causing it, and but I bought, a, I bought an inversion table so I can like hang upside down now. So my wife took a picture of me yesterday hanging upside down and sent it to the kids. And I think the caption was, I'm Batman. So <laughs> I don't know. I'm not Batman. I definitely don't feel like Batman right now. But I do appreciate your prayers in that, in that area. And just ask that you would keep praying as, as I make decisions on what to, to do to, to help it. I've been trying to do some different just physical things to stretch and it's helped but still quite um, painful so thank you and just encourage you to continue to pray that uh, pray for me so we're going to look this morning at the first five verses in Colossians 2 in these five verses it's a continuation of what we dealt with last week in which the apostle Paul talks about his ministry we looked at four things that were, that were um, directly connected to being a minister of Christ, uh, things that we are called to as ministers of Christ, and things that must be important to us. Those four things were, um, and the Apostle Paul talks about being joyful in suffering, that that was important because, it's a rep, because you are reflecting on Christ, and Christ's life and Christ's ministry was a, a life and a ministry of suffering. I think we would all... Uh, agree that the life of Christ was epitomized by suffering and, and difficulty and challenges. Yet within all of those, he never complained, he never murmured, he never defended himself. Um, scripture even refers to him as being silent in the most challenging of circumstances and just holding his words back and letting the Father in heaven um, uh, uphold his testimony and reputation and and so uh, joyful and suffering was one thing that a ministry or a minister, all of us are, um, is important. The second thing was co- being committed to the gospel, sharing the gospel through not just our words, but through our lifestyle. The third thing was being focused on the sanctification of others, um, working for, uh, he talked about warning people and admonishing people in, in the truth. And this is just watching out for the sanctification of your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a part of Paul's ministry, and it's a part of our ministry as followers of Christ. And the last thing that he dealt with in the the end of chapter number one is that he struggled with the energy that was powerfully working within him. And what the Apostle Paul is saying there is that the, the, the work that he did, the laboring that he did with the gospel, the, the ability that he had to be joyful in suffering, all of these things came from the uh, strength that was within him through the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul didn't have, it, have any strength to do these things. It wasn't in and of himself that he was accomplishing things. It was a result of being one with Christ. The Spirit of God living within him enabled him to do some really unique, unique things. In the second chapter, we're going to move to the reason why the Apostle Paul found these things so important. And that's why the the chapter starts with the word for, 
And it's the, in this context, the word for can mean a number of different things in the scriptures. In this context, it means because. So when you see that word, because, there's a, 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 a pointing back to what has just been discussed. And then there, you're going to be seeing the reason why the Apostle Paul counted his ministry so important. Why he saw his ministry as being significant. And so let's just read together the, or you follow along and I'll read out loud the first five verses of the second chapter. The scripture says, for I want you to know, and there's the reason. So there's something that the apostle Paul wants the people to know, and therefore he has committed his life to their knowledge of this thing. There's something that, that is super important to the apostle Paul that he wants you to know. He wanted Colossae to understand it. He wanted Ephesus to understand it. And, and really, I was, I was thinking this week as I was preparing that if you look at each one of the apostles' letters, he deals with this truth specifically in each one of his letters. And Jesus, even in John 17, in his high priestly prayer, he says at the end of his, at the end of his most important prayer, I think recorded in Scripture, which is right before his death, he prays for his disciples, and he prays for this thing to be true about them. So it's pretty constant throughout the scriptures that whatever truth we're getting ready to unfold is so super important. And we know what the mystery is, don't we? Remember, what, what's the mystery of Colossians? Remember? Do you remember what the mystery of Colossians is? Anybody? The gospel, okay, but what do we, we had three, three specific statements that defined it. All in Christ, Christ in you, you in the church, okay? So that's the mystery. The apostle Paul is getting ready to, to expose a mystery to these people. And, 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 and all of those three things, of all of those three things, which one is visible? The only one that's visible is you in the church. Christ in you and all in Christ, is, it's a spirit, those are spiritual truths. They're, they're truths, but they're not visible truths. So what the Apostle Paul wants for the people to understand is he wants them to understand this mystery, and he's telling them the only way that you're going to understand this mystery is through the, it's through the church. So there's this, there's this hidden secret mystery that is being exposed, it's being expressed, it's being lived out in the body of Christ. And this, and this, and this mystery, which is a, which is a, a really, a, a, it's, a, it's beyond our ability to comprehend. We have to see it unfolding because we will never understand it to its fullest extent until we stand in the presence of Christ. We think about it for a moment. The only visible expression of Christ that we have is the church. The only visible, you know, 2,000 years ago, they had Christ walking amongst them. They knew what he looked like. They knew what he did. They knew what his attitude was like, what his heart was like, what his actions were like. They knew what his abilities were like. Everything about Christ was visible to them because he walked amongst them. But then he died. He rose again. He ascended up into heaven. And then the Bible says, back in where, where Michael read it in Ephesians, the Bible says that he gave gifts to people. He gave gifts to people. So when he ascended up into heaven, he sends his spirit down. His spirit is a spirit living within visible people, giving gifts to them so that Christ can become visible again. This is the mystery that the apostle Paul is trying to help the church of Colossae understand so that then they begin to live out they begin to take this mystery seriously. We are, folks, for all intents and purposes, we are the revelation of Christ. And that can be good or bad, right? We look at a lot of churches today who see themselves as a representation of Christ, and it's, it's really not the greatest thing in the world to, to wow, if Christ is like that. I mean, you, you hear people say that. If Jesus is like that, I don't want anything to do with him. On the other end of the spectrum, you hear people say, you know, that there's something about that ministry or that church that's, that is all of the characteristics of Christ. So he says, 
this, this is why I'm counting my ministry, these four things in the last chapter so importantly, so that you might know this mystery. You might know how great a struggle that I have for you and for those that at Laodicea, which was another uh, a town very, very close to Colossae in which this letter it was interchangeable, if you will. And for all those who have, seen, who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. So that's the, the apostles. We're going to walk through this in a moment here. But that's the apostles' desire, necessarily, that, that the, the church be encouraged and that it be knit together in love. That's the title of this morning's message. The church is a knitted mystery. A knitted mystery. Knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So that's the goal of the, that's the goal of this mystery being exposed is that we might come to the full knowledge of the mystery of Christ and that as a result of coming to the full knowledge of the mystery of Christ, we might experience, we might experience the riches that are associated with that. We might experience the knowledge that is associated with that. We might experience the, not knowledge, but assurance. And we might experience the wisdom that is associated with that. There's a lot to be had in Christ, right? There's a lot to be had in Christ. It's really un, untapped riches. We would all agree that we all have, uh, uh, un, that Christ has untapped riches by his people. There's so much more that we can know about Christ that we can experience. Now, we have all of Christ in us, but there's more that we can experience in daily life as relates to Christ being inside of us. There's so much more. We will never tap into the fullness of the, of the riches of Christ until we stand in his presence and experience him in a, in a visible, tangible way. That's why we see him right now through a glass that is dim. But, but we grow in knowing him and we grow in experiencing his grace towards us, Right? But you got to think about it this way. The church is an intricate part of your ability to experience the fullness of the riches of Christ. Without the church, you will never, as the church grows and matures and becomes what it ought to be, it, it as a whole, as a body, as a singular body, it experiences the fullness of the riches of Christ. What Satan has convinced us of is that we can experience the fullness of the riches of Christ as independent individual people. We can't. It is necessary that the body function together if it's going to experience the fullness of the riches of Christ. I, 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 don't, I don't know about you, but it's, I think sometimes you, you think about things like this, truths like this, and you, you begin to ponder, how much are we missing, Lord? How much are we missing out on? What are some of the rich depths? I mean, you think about in the first century church when they were in Acts 2, that they were meeting together day, they were meeting together every single day of the week. They were probably tapping into some, you know, the rest of the book of Acts is like this, this, the book of miracles, right? The book of the works of the Holy Spirit, the books of the uh, expression of the, of the church in its infant state, in its, in, in its really purest state. But what were they doing? They were tapped, the, the church was mature and that the church was unified and the church was tapping into the riches of Christ. They were, they were together. That's the goal, he says, to know the mystery of Christ, of the mystery, God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of, of wisdom and, and knowledge. I say this in order that, that no one may delude you with uh, plausible arguments, which is just another word for um, persuasion. Someone might persuade you otherwise. For though I am absent in body, I, yet I am with you in spirit, 
rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So where I, where I want to, where I, where I believe the text focuses on and, and it kind of uh, surrounds it with, with other uh, details that we'll look at this morning is this idea of being knit together. Being knit together in love. If you know anything about knitting, I'm not, a, a, I don't know, maybe I should, someone in here might know a lot about knitting. I don't, anybody like to knit? And we have, a, we have a knitter over here. Anybody else like to knit? Okay, we've got a knitter up here. And no one else is going to acknowledge that they like to knit. You know, it's, <laughs> my mother-in-law loves to knit. So she will knit things, love, or, or gifts for Christmas, or I remember, um, I remember a few special occasions where our kids would send my mother, I think there was one where they went on a vacation, or they went on some kind of trip, and they bought a bunch of shirts, and they sent all of these shirts to my mother-in-law, and she, you know, she cut out the main picture, and then she knit together this blanket, and so that at the end, you got all these different memories that are knit together in this blanket, and it, it kind of gives you an overview of what that, what that memory meant, Right? And some people will do it with pictures, and they, they, you know, they knit these quilts together, or they, they put something together, and it, and it just um, it helps people kind of remember things or embrace some truth or maybe get a bigger picture of all of the things that happened. And sometimes it can be a surprise, and sometimes it can be a, um, something that you plan and organize and do. I know that when people do it today, when my mother-in-law does it, it's, it's for a special event like a, a wedding or something like of that nature. Maybe somebody's uh, parent makes one of their childhood. They, they keep things from their childhood, and then when they get older, they knit it all together, and they give them this beautiful blanket, and it just describes their whole entire childhood. Anybody, anybody ever have anything like that happen? Get, they have one like that? We, don't, we, won't, we won't make you show it or anything like that, but anybody have anything like that? I know, no? Nobody does? Okay, Janet does. All right, good. So you kind of know, know what that's like, and it's kind of a special thing, especially when you get maybe someone that's like um, living life with you, like your mom or your dad, and, they, and they're kind of collecting things from you, and then as they, you get older, they all of a sudden, they put it all together, and they give you this blanket or whatever, and it's got all the memories of your life, and maybe you cry, and maybe you laugh, and maybe you, I don't know, you might do a lot of different things, but, but you, you kind of see how, with that picture, that things are being knit together, and, and, and it's giving you a, a broader picture of something that is, is happening. Now, you can imagine from the standpoint of like in, in this context, imagine this, this same idea, something being knit together, a, uh, something from a, a unique perspective, from God's perspective, but it's a mystery to you. You, know, you, ever, you. you ever have somebody building something for you or making something for you and you, maybe your dad's making you something and, you, and he's like, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm just going to build it. When it's all done, I'll give it to you and you'll enjoy it. And, and maybe they might come out and say, Dad, can I see, can I see what progress is there? Can I, well, can I try to figure out what it is? And you, and you might get somewhat excited or maybe, maybe mom is, is knitting something for the, for the girls or something, the boys maybe as well. And it's like, can I see it? Can I try to figure out what it is? And, and ask the kind of the picture comes together, the, 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 the tighter the knit and the more, the more threads that get into that knit and the more colors and the more schemes, and it, all of a sudden, it all starts to come together and it all makes sense. And it's like, oh, I think I'm figuring it out. I think I'm, I think I'm starting to get it. And you might, you know, put a little curve in there and make something unique out of it or whatever. But, but you kind of see how, as a Christian, when the Lord talks about the church being knit together, that it's talking about the fact that we're all a bunch of different threads. And that, and that in the fact that we're all a bunch of different threads, God is taking all of those threads and they're all different colors and they're all different shapes and they're all different sizes, they're all different heights and, and they're all different, different types of people, different ethnicities. They're, they're, all over the, they're all over the place and God is taking all of these, these people and he's knitting together this beautiful thing and in the end, we, 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 we can look at it and it's like, ah, it doesn't, I don't know. And we look at the church and we're like, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense right now. You know, it's just it's all the weave seems kind of loose. It doesn't, I, I don't really see the picture coming together and, and yet what we know is that Christ is knitting something together in the end, it's going to be Christ on that picture and it's going to be the church. The church has been knit God has knit the church in such a way that at the end of the day, we see Christ. 
and people see Christ. And it's like a painting. You can illustrate it as a, a painting as well. Maybe you're painting something. I remember watching on um, some of these shows uh, several years ago on America's Got Talent. There were these guys who did the sand stuff, and they would make the sand. And one guy, he made all this sand, and he, he, and it, he looked at it, and it was all like weird. And then he like flipped it over, and it was a picture of some well-known. And you're like, oh my goodness, that makes sense. I see it now, and it all, it all made sense. But you can almost get the idea from like a painting where you're, you're painting something that someone else doesn't know what it is and, and they're, they're trying to figure it out and they're watching the process and slowly in their mind it starts to come together. And then when you present them that full painting, you're like, oh man, I saw, I saw all of those steps and all of those processes. I think of another way of illustrating it is like a puzzle, putting a puzzle together. Anybody in here like to put puzzles together? We got a few puzzle puzzle workers. I mean, Angela and I have started to do some puzzling together, and she bought recently bought one, and it's totally weird. It's like the pieces are all wrong; they're not like the normal. And I'm I haven't put any in this puzzle. She's she's like whizzed through, and it's like almost done. And I haven't put any in because I don't understand it yet. But I told her the other day, I was like, I'm going to work harder and try to understand it so that it works, and I can at least say I put one piece into it. And you might actually see it on my wall in my office soon because it's a really nice little Coca-Cola puzzle. But you kind of, with a, with, a, with a puzzle, you, you get to see a picture and put it together, right? But imagine a puzzle that, where you didn't get to see the picture and you just had to put it together. And you just have one piece at a time, you're putting this puzzle together. And you have to see, you know, you have to literally go by how does the piece, does the piece fit into this piece? And it has, you can't, you can't, you really have no idea what the picture is going to end up being at the end. It's a complete mystery. But as that puzzle starts to unfold and you, you get those pieces together, it starts to, it starts to make sense. And the picture starts to come together. What the, what the Apostle Paul is, is teaching the church here is that the church is like, it's like a picture. It's like a puzzle. It's like a, a knitting, uh, um, a, a group of people being knit together so that we can have a full picture of Christ. That's what we're, that's what we're, that is what God is doing with his church. He's knitting us together so that we can have a full picture of Christ. We want to remember a few things as introductory, that God is the one who is doing the knitting of the church. God is the one knitting the church together. He is the active one. The church doesn't, the church doesn't get to see um, all of the pieces going together. They just get to see the kind of the end result unfolding. What our part is in the process of knitting the church together, our part is we are watchers, okay? We want to watch. We want to watch with anticipation and watch and see what God is unfolding with his church. We want to see Christ better, so we watch the church and we watch the church with anticipation to see who Christ is. We also want to remember in regards to our responsibility, not only are we observers or watchers, but we're the material that's used in the process, so we want to present our material, our life. Our life needs to be presented to God as material to be knit together in this process of the Lord using the church to make a picture of himself. And then ultimately, in the end, Christ is the outcome. The Lord will never knit a picture together that will be an individual person other than it being Christ. His his. The Father's motivation is to exalt Christ. It's to put Christ superior and supreme everywhere. It's to, it's to elevate Christ. Everything that the Father does is the elevation of, of Christ, the Son, and everything that Christ does is in obedience and submission to the Father. It's, it's all about them. And we participate in it in that we're the, we're the tools or the material that God uses to bring it all together so that so that the world can see so that the world can see what the lord the world can see christ we can see christ you and i can see christ we can get the fullest expression that is possible of christ by his church that's the whole reason why god knits us together it's the whole reason why god knits us together and the question that we have to ask ourselves is is what picture are we 
what, what picture are we painting of Christ? Or what picture is he painting with us of Christ? And are we giving him good material? We want to be, we want to be careful about those things. So there are five principles I want you to look at with me this morning. We're going to walk through them fairly quickly. This week has been a real challenging week for me. I don't know about you, but, but this week uh, sitting uh, or anything like that was, was pretty much impossible. I basically had to just be moving constantly. And so studying was really, I told my wife, I was like, honey, pray for my message this morning because it's going to be different than normal because it just was so hard to focus with the things that I had to go through this week. So I hope it's helpful to you as we walk through um, this passage of Scripture and look at five simple truths that might be helpful to you. Number one is, and it's on your outline if you want to write a note down, is the magnitude of being knit together. The magnitude of being knit together. What I mean by that is, this is it, how important is this? How important is it that the church be knit together? How important is it that the weave be tight? How important is it that, and, and, and just think about it. You think about a, a, a knitting where the, where, the, where the strings are not tightly knit together. It's very difficult to see the end result and to get a clear picture because it's important in knitting, I think. <laughs> I'm giving you my thoughts on this. It's important in knitting that the strings be tightly woven together so that you get a clear view of the picture that's being presented, right? Okay. Um, I think that's what, our, what, what the Apostle Paul is referring to here when he says that we're to be knit together. We're to be tightly knit together. I, I, I believe this. One of the things that the devil has distracted us with is this idea that we're to, be, we're to be so externally focused and so evangelistically focused that we, that we lose sight of the fact that our greatest evangelism, remember this, our greatest evangelism is the unity of the church. It is when we show the world Christ, and we can't show the world Christ as an individual, we must show the world Christ as a body. It'd be like a finger running out and saying, I'm John, I'm John, I'm John, right? People would laugh at that finger, like, what in the world is that? That's craziness. But when you have the whole body being together, and we're called the body of Christ, right? You have the whole body functioning in harmony together and saying, this is Christ to the world around us. That's the greatest witness that the world can have. That's the greatest evangelism that the world can experience is is not the, the, the church being splintered and everybody out doing their own thing. It's the church being unified and everybody doing the... Everybody doing life together and the world looking at it and saying, wow, that's really unique. If you study history, the most powerful um, revivals have taken place. You even go back to the beginning of Acts where there are 120 people together, gather together in the upper room and they're praying and the Lord breaks out Pentecost. I mean, and we would say, you know what? All you 120 people go out and win souls. And the Lord had them all gathered together in one place, pleading with God to go out for, for the Lord to do a miracle and do um, bring about the salvation of thousands of people. It was, the, it was the unity of the body. It was the tightness of the unity of that body that brought about the miracle of God. And so when we talk about the magnitude in Paul's mind, and again, he talks about this same principle in each one of his epistles, he uses the term here, for I want you to know how great a struggle, the word struggle here in the Greek is agon, which we get our English word agonize from. The Apostle Paul says that he, he is agonizing over the, over the significance, over the importance of, of other people experiencing and seeing Christ in the church, seeing Christ through the church. It's like being in a contest or a battle. The Apostle Paul was in, was in a fight so that the world could see Christ through the church. That's what he wanted Colossians to understand, that this is, in, this is important to the Apostle Paul, that, that Christ be seen in the church or Christ be seen through the church, and therefore the Apostle Paul was agonizing over it for this, for this group of people. 
A few other things that we can note about from the text is the Apostle Paul hadn't even met these people. These were not your people that the Apostle Paul had established the church and then he agonized over that church representing Christ well, but the Apostle Paul had never even met the people at this church. That there was a, there was a knittedness, even the Apostle Paul describes a knittedness to the body of Christ that had nothing to do with familiarity had nothing to do with them even knowing them in a personal, intimate way, but there was a a knittedness there that was built around the fact that there was a spiritual knittedness. It was a knittedness from from what the Lord was doing on the end inside. The Apostle Paul had real conflict for the church in relation to this being knit together. It's likely, because of what we know about the Apostle Paul, that this was a prayer conflict, that the Apostle Paul was doing war for the church of Colossae in prayer, that he was battling for them, battling for their unity, battling for their being knit together in prayer because he had never met them. But we also note this, and it's important to note, that his conflict also led to his imprisonment. He tells him at the end of Colossians, one of the last phrases is, remember my chains, remember my imprisonment. It is because of my passion for the church, because of my desire to see Christ being manifested through the church. Paul agonized for their understanding. Paul was committed to the church understanding Christ not just intellectually, but also visibly. He was committed to people seeing Christ. Christ is not just information that we share. The gospel is not just a message that we speak. It's a lifestyle that we live. The Lord, the Apostle Paul wanted the people to see that the gospel was life-changing, And his commitment was under the magnitude. His commitment was unrestrained and unlimited, meaning that the Apostle Paul was willing to do anything to get the church to see the fullness of Christ, to experience the fullness of Christ. And he was willing to battle for anyone. His his commitment to this truth being expressed in the church was unlimited in relation to how much he was willing to suffer and in relation to who he was willing to go to war for, even the church of Colossae whom he had never met and others as well. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 11 and 12. He says, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also be the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is working in what's the next word? You're not there, but death is working in us, not me. Death is working in us. Who's he referring to? He's referring to the body, the, the likely the disciples, those working with Paul, the church, of where this is coming from, and life is working in you. He says that I I am giving myself over to death for Jesus' sake. Okay, so so it seems like he's doing it for the church's sake, but he he presents it here as being for Jesus' sake. Why? Because it is the expression of Jesus. This is for the glory of Jesus. It's to show the value of Jesus, the significance of Jesus. It's to show Christ's character. And you're a part of that. Everybody that's in here is a part of showing Christ's character to the world around us and to each other. Galatians 4 verse 9 and 10 says, My little children, from whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He doesn't say my little child. He says my little children. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the church. He's like, I am in anguish like a woman in birth until Christ is fully formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and charge and change my tone, but I am perplexed about you. The magnitude of being knit knit together, the apostle Paul counted this as being super important in his ministry. He saw it as the 
ultimately what his ministry was. Number two, we see the might of being knit together. The Bible says in the text here, for I want you to know how great a struggle that I have for you and those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, that their hearts may be encouraged. And so he talks about this idea of encouragement. The apostle Paul desires for the um, church to be encouraged. And this word in the Greek is parakaleo, and it just simply means this, para, which you can, you can think of the word pair, right? So we get the word pair from para in the Greek, and it means that you're pairing together. The, 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 the word describes an encouragement, and it literally in this context, it's describing strength. We can see this back over in Ephesians where he talks over and over again about the church being strengthened and being strengthened. So the idea is, is that the church is being strengthened by being united together. So they're, being, they're partnering together, and that partnering is enabled, enabling them to be strong to carry out the expression of Christ. And it is his desire that they be united together, they be joined together so that they can be strengthened and they can be comforted. This is a very interesting word, parakaleo, because the, the, uh, it is the same term that's used to describe the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, in regards to what the Holy Spirit does. He is called the comforter. And it is also a, a term that's used to describe the Holy Spirit paraclete, which is a term for the Holy Spirit, which means the one, the one who partners with us, the one who comes alongside of us. So, so think of it this way. In the same way that the, that the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and works with us to, 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 to um, reflect Christ, right? That's his, that's his purpose. That's his that's his plan. In the same way, he wants us to come together as the church and parakaleo to join, to partner together, to strengthen each other, to encourage each other, to sanctify each other so that the whole body, the church, might be a proper expression of Christ. It's not something that we're meant to do alone. It's something that we're meant to do in partnership, not only with the Holy Spirit, but we're to do it in partnership with each other. The church is to be the strength of each other, and each member is to bring strength to the other members. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12, it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So, Solomon speaks of this idea of being joined together, united together. So what he says here is, I want you to be, I want you to be strong, to be strengthened by, by coming together. So now we're together. It's in this picture of a, a, a pile of yarn here beside me. I don't have a visual aid, but just picture a pile of yarn. That's, that's this term. Now you, you have come together, and now you're gaining strength from each other. You're gaining purpose from each other. You're gaining sanctification for each other. And then he goes to the next step that you might be what? Now you're going to start being, you've, you've come together, you've gathered together. Uh, for us, it's, you know, for the New Testament age, for 20 first century. It's Sunday mornings and maybe another night of the week. In the first century, it was every single day. But you had this pile of yarn coming together, really insignificant in and of itself, right? No value, pile of yarn laying there. That's what he's saying is, is, is I want you to come together. I want you to partner together, to join together. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin to knit you together. And then God is going to take each one of those pieces, whatever it might be, and he's going to take that and he's going to say, that fits into my plan and my purpose here in this way. Listen, it doesn't happen until you have parakaleo, until you have come together, partner together to bring strength to each other. 
You can't do it separate. You can't do it by yourself. The world has made us so busy and so consumed with everything outside of the church that it is impossible to be a pile of yarn that God can pick up that's together and all ready to be picked up and to be used in God's, for God's purposes and God's plans. And Satan has done a magnificent job of consuming us with everything that has nothing to do with God's church, which, which then, you know, it, it may not even be what, what we're consumed with is necessarily bad, but what it does is it, it doesn't enable those yarn pieces to be there to be weaved into the beautiful tapestry of Christ. And you know something, honestly? You take that pile of yarn and it, it means nothing. It means zero, right? You take the tapestry that's at the end of that pile of yarn and it means everything. And God does all of the work. Do you know what he wants? He wants his church to be here. Ready to be used, united, Strengthening each other, encouraging each other, sanctifying each other, challenging each other. And then God will weave us into his beautiful plan. The might of being knit together. God's desire is that we be together and that we be strength for each other. Number three, the motivation of being knit together. He says that we would be knit together in love. The word in love means it's not referring to love is not the material that's used to knit us together, but love is the reason why we are knit together. Love is the reason why we would desire to be knit together. The love that's used here, the term in the Greek is agape. It's a divine love. It's a love that's consistently used about God and his love for his son and his love for his people. In other words, our reasoning, our motivation behind coming here is that we love being here, right? I mean, just think about it from like a family reunion type of a setting. I know our, our family, we love to get together. It's like the best thing. It's the best. It's better than even apple pie. And we love to get together and we come together and we don't always agree on everything. And there are times that there's conflict and there are times that there's a lot of things that are, we sharpen each other and then we weaken each other and we, we strengthen each other. There are times that everything is not perfect like it should be, but we love coming together. We love being together. And why do we love being together? Because we love each other. There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's something about being a part of a family that causes us to experience a, a love for each other that, that is what I would just call supernatural. It's not, it's not a natural love. It's a, super, it's a God-given love. The Bible says that our strength, our, the love for our brothers and sisters in Christ in his church ought to surpass, remember this, it ought to surpass our love that we experience for uh, our family members. I mean, he literally says that you have, to even, you have to even hate your father and your mother. And I, don't, I don't think he's saying you got to hate your father and mother in a, in, a, in a literal sense. I think he's saying that your love for, the, for Christ, and who is Christ? Who is the visible expression of Christ? The church is. He's saying your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ has to outweigh your love for your normal family in such a way that it's so, it's so massive that it could be like love versus hate. You see, that's, that's the reason why we're not all piled up over here right now waiting to be used. Because we haven't, we haven't gained a love for each other a love for the church, a love for the body of Christ, a love for the person of Christ that causes us to sell all that we have and give it to the poor and become his disciple. It's love that knits us together. It's not responsibility. It's not duty that knits us together. In the Old Testament, it was under the Jewish legal system, it was duty. It's not duty that knits us together. It's love that knits us together. It's a supernatural love. It's a, it's a Holy Spirit-given love. It's a Holy Spirit-directed um, love. It's not based upon common human abilities. It's not based upon accomplishments or status. It's not based upon the things that we agree on. R remember this. The love that the church has for each other is not subject to our, it's not subject to, to, to humanity. 
It's a, a spiritual love. There, there ought not to be what we would call factions in the church or divisions in the church or splinters in the church on the basis of, of, of these carnal things. Our love for each other is that we're a part of the same family. Some of my children do different things. Some of my children like different things. Do I love any of them any different? Should I love any of them any different? Of course not. Absolutely not. They're all different, but I shouldn't love any of them different. The same exact principle applies to the body of Christ. You don't want factions and, 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 and segments and splinters on the basis of, well, I, I like this or I like... That's not what the church is about. The church is about Christ. It's a supernatural love that knits us together. It's a forgiving love, Ephesians 4.32. It's a selfless love that knits us together. A sacrificial love, a forgetful love, a love that doesn't hold grudges. It's an understanding love, a compassionate love, a hopeful love, a believing love. The love that knits the church together is found in 1 Corinthians 13, and it flows in each one of us. Listen to me. The love that is in 1 Corinthians 13, it's a description of the love of Christ, and it is in every single believer. The Bible says that the love of Christ is in us, and it flows through us. And where does it flow through us other than the church itself? Romans 5 and verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And the weird thing is, is the idea is that the love of God has been poured into our hearts to the point where it is overflowing on everybody else. So the Bible says that, I think it's, uh, I know it's Psalm 23 where it says that, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And it talks about, um, my cup will run over. And then an old preacher said, it's always good when the cup runs over because then Mr. Saucer gets some. And that's true. It's like, that's the way the Christian life is. It's not, it's not just for us. It's for the overflow unto others. That's the motivation. You are, your unity, your knittedness together in the church is motivated by your love for, for your brother and sisters in Christ, but also by your love for Christ by your love for Christ. The greater your love for Christ, the greater the love that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13 will be exposed through you. And then the greater people will see Christ in you and in the body. So number four, number four this morning, the material of being knit together. What does the Lord use to knit the church together? And there's so much that we could look at. If you're taking notes, I would just encourage you to write down Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, um, Ephesians 4, and I'll read a couple of uh, passages to you here in a moment. What does the Lord use to knit the church together? According to each one of these passages, the glue, um, the, the joints, if you think about it from a body, the joints are those parts of your body that knit you together, right? They're the parts that take an arm, and then you have a joint that puts it into the shoulder, and you have a leg, and you have a joint, and so the joints are the things that keep us together, and the marrow is the thing that keeps those joints from, they keep them not hurting, I guess. They, they help in the process of that joint doing what it's supposed to do. So what are the joints and the marrows of, of what is the joint and the marrow of the body of Christ? What are the joints in the marrow of the body of Christ? It is the spiritual gifts. God gives spiritual gifts to individuals within the body, and that's how he... Now, get this. That is not the arm. The spiritual gift is not the arm. The spiritual gift is not the finger. The spiritual gift is not the leg. The spiritual gift is not the toe. The spiritual gift is the joint that brings it all together. So some people think of their spiritual gift, and that's who they are, right? I am a preacher. I am a musician. So I am the finger. I am the toe. I'm a teacher in Sunday school. I work in the nursery. Think about it this way. That is the joint that brings you into the body of Christ, that keeps you connected to them. What you, the role that you have and the gift that God has given you is what makes you connected to the rest of the body. That's why a lot of people who are in church don't ever feel connected. They don't have a role. And therefore, it's like a finger that doesn't have a joint. What's a finger that doesn't have a joint? It's not on the body, right? 
You take the joint away and you still have an arm, you still have a leg, you still have a finger, but you don't, it's not connected. Until it gets connected by the joint and the marrow, which is the spiritual gift, it feels like it's not a part. And then it makes the body look, it really it distorts the picture of Christ. Let me read to you out of Ephesians 4. We, we read this verse earlier. Ephesians 4, 16 says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And we go back to verse 11. The Bible says God has given some apostles, some prophets. He talks about spiritual gifts. Colossians 2 and verse 19, which is one chapter ahead, he says, And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit, knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So it's our joints and our ligaments that we see in the text that I gave you, the spiritual gifts that, that connect us to the body. And they are what make us a part of the body. And then Christ is glorified. The last truth this morning is the mark. What, it, what would be another uh, name? The mark is for alliteration purposes so that you had all M's there. But the aim is the idea, the aim of being knit together. And I just want to give you a, a few things here to think about. The first aim of being knit together is that we might experience the full riches of Christ that we might experience the full riches of Christ. Remember this, the full riches of Christ, he uses, this, uh, he uses that phrase in our text when he says that we might reach all the riches. We might obtain all the riches. To reach the full riches of Christ, it takes, and you know, I think it was Hillary Clinton once that said, I'm not promoting Hillary Clinton here, but... <laughs> I think she said it takes a community, right? Didn't she say something like that or write a book about that? All right. It takes the church to get a full grasp on the riches of Christ. It takes a church coming together, each person finding their joint, finding their marrow, finding their connection into the body and carrying it out. And being a part. Experience the riches of Christ. The full riches of Christ can only be experienced when his people unite together for his glory. And are knit together by his spirit. Not only does he want us to experience the full riches of Christ. But experience the full assurance of Christ. That we might not only experience his riches. But the assurance of him being in us, the assurance of him being strong, the assurance of his grace, the assurance of his forgiveness, the assurance of his kindness. If I were to go out and tell the world that the Lord Jesus Christ is the most forgiving and kind person that has ever walked on the face of the earth, but yet people come into, my, come into the church house and they experience nothing uh, but the opposite of that, what does that say? It's not going to bring great assurance. As the church functions fully, the body of Christ and those who are part of the body of Christ become assured. They come to a full extent of the assurance of Christ because they're seeing him function. What if we were the only evidence of Christ? Now, I know that we're not, but what if we were? experience the full assurance of Christ and experience the wisdom of Christ. He talks about the full wisdom that's given. This is just uh, seeing Christ. Wisdom is, wisdom is information put into practice. It's when you have experienced Christ. The church is a place where we experience Christ. Now, let me say this to you, and I, I'm not trying to be little parts of the service, but I think sometimes we think that we experience Christ in the singing, we experience Christ in the preaching, we experience, we, we, almost, we almost segment the church into a, a certain ceremony or a certain part that's where we experience Christ. No, it's really not true. We, we get to perform an event that worships Christ and celebrates Christ and those types of things, but, but that's not necessarily experiencing Christ. 
experiencing Christ, wisdom about Christ is when the church functions together to paint a picture to each other and the world around us of who Christ is. That is the wisdom that comes from the church being knit together. Each part connected by a joint and marrow. Let me just close out with a few, few, few other things here from our text. He goes on to say, I say this that no one may delude you with, with, uh, with sensible arguments or with plausible arguments or persuasive arguments. In other words, there are those who are going to try to move you away from this. And then he gives us in verse number five, he says, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. What he said, what he's saying to them there is that he is, he is actually showing himself as an example of this unity that he's just taught them about. Even though I'm not there with you, the apostle Paul says, I am there with you. My heart is knit to your heart. My heart is knit to you. Even though I can't be present with you, my heart is knit to you. And I think, he is, I think what he is saying is, is if my heart can be knit to you, church, then your hearts can be knit together. It's like the Lord says in 1 John, the Lord says, if you say you love your brother, whom you, if you say you love God, whom you can't see, but you don't love your brother who you can see, he says that you're not telling the truth. And I think that's the argument that the Apostle Paul is saying is that if I can be knit to your heart and I've never even met you before, then you can be knit together. Amen? And then he says, in the end, he talks about the progress. He says, I am rejoicing with you to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And it's interesting because both of these terms are military terms that close it out and they literally describe a a, a harming. If you look, ever look at a military, you ever look at a, a military regiment, you ever kind of like amazed at them, like how, you know, you know, they like march and it's like perfect harmony, like everyone's leg moves at the same time and their arms move. It's just like perfect, beautiful harmony. And they can go and they can even go different directions and also the next thing you know, there's this, this picture is painted or a word comes out of it or something of that effect and it's just like, and they just do it so perfectly and so in harmony and if anybody gets off track it just throws the whole picture off right that's what these two words describe at the end of this text he's like i'm just so amazed at how in harmony you are that you are in harmony in order in good order and in the firmness and the strength of your faith in christ and in other words he's admonishing them at the end that you're doing well to be organized and structured so that when people look at you, they see Christ. I think of a, a marching band. If anybody, anybody ever been in the marching band before? Got some marching band people. And you, anybody been in those marching bands with the band leader who always wants to do something fancy and you're always marching over here and then if you get like a sky view, it's a picture of a, you know, a, a big warrior or, you know, it says lions or whatever. Anybody ever been in that before? No? no? Come on. You ever seen it on TV where they march in a certain order and also the next thing you know, it's like corn huskers or, right? It's, 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 you know, they just do a great job and they're just so orderly and structured and they, and they go to their place and they do their part. And, it, and then there's this bigger, and you know what? It's, it's so funny when you look at it because you don't even you don't even think about any of the individuals in that picture, do you? All you see is what that picture has created. You just see the, you're like, oh my goodness, that is so crazy. I've been in things before where they would, they'll give out shirts for people in a certain seat in a big, huge stadium, and then all the people will have a certain color on, and they'll all stand up at a certain time, and then it will spell out a word, or it'll say something, and you think to yourself, you don't think about any of those individuals. All you think about is, wow, how, that's, a, that's, a that's, that's 50,000 people, and they've all just worked together in perfect harmony to make this beautiful picture for us to see. Listen, folks, that's what the church is about. It's not about any individual elevating or being more important or more significant. It's about everybody working together in perfect harmony like a military regimen Everybody marching to the same tune, marching to the same beat, doing what is right in God's eyes, doing what is, they're supposed to do, and it, and it develops, and it creates, and it knits together, and it puts the puzzle together, and in the end, people see Christ. 
And it's a journey, and we're going to look next week at the therefore. He's going to give us some therefores, which is some things that we can do in the process to, to, to accomplish this. But I just, want us to, I just want us to think about that truth. How, we, how are we doing in that area of being available, together, unified, and ready to be knit together as God sees fit for his glory so that we might know Christ fully. Amen? We always want to know Christ more fully. This is, how, this is where it happens. And that other people might look at this church and say, there's something weirdly good about that church. I mean, lots of people say there's something weird. But there's something weird. I, I, I know people, folks, I've been in ministry for 20 plus years now, and I know people that have come to a church and said there was just something about, when people walked out of the doors, there was something about their, their heart, their joy, their happiness that I wanted to know. What is that? That's a painting, a picture of Christ. The opposite is also true. I've had people say, well, I've, well I watch people leaving the church and I wouldn't want to go there. Because that's painting a picture of Christ. And it's not the Christ that they want. So just want you to think about, pray about, and consider some of these things. In your, in your own time, um, just my last note popped up here. In your own time, read John 17, 22 through 23, where Christ prays for this unity. And then Philippians 1, 27 through 30, again, where he also prays for it. Father, we do thank you for this time together this morning. May your word be, um, may it be uh, powerful in our hearts, bring conviction, bring challenge, and bring change so that we might be a better uh, reflection, if we, if we can, of you. We might know you better, experience the full riches of your grace through your church, and um, help others know you. We pray that you would bless this time. May it be glorifying and honoring to you in Jesus' name. Amen.